BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey there from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, yes, we are just days away from the state's second ever gubernatorial recall election. And we've got one of the candidates here to chat with us about why he believes Governor Gavin Newsom should lose his job. That's right. We will talk with former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner in a bit. He'll join us after the break. But first, we have a man here who is an expert on the nitty gritty details of voting data. Paul Mitchell is vice president of Political Data Inc. They collect and sell, you guessed it, political data, data to progressive political campaigns. Paul Mitchell, welcome back to The Breakdown. Hey, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me. So we are, as we said, just days away from this election. But of course, elections don't just happen on one day. And so we already have a lot of data coming in about who is voting, not necessarily how they voted. Um, tell us what you're seeing so far in terms of early ballots coming in and how it looks for Governor Gavin Newsom. Yeah. So, you know, unlike decades ago, the it isn't Election Day. Um Uh, Even the 2003 recall, there were only 3.2 million ballots mailed out to voters. Uh, This election cycle, we had 22 million ballots mailed out to voters. And and we're able to witness these returns coming in on a day by day basis because our company is able to go get the voter IDs of people whose ballots have been returned and then process those. And we actually have been for the last few election cycles, just kind of reporting these out, making them public. So people who are into politics or reporters or the campaigns can kind of dive into this data. And so far, we're actually at 30% turnout. And that's really, really meaningful because a lot of folks who were looking at early polling that might suggest this be a real close race, they were expecting low turnout. So if turnout was in the 35 to 40% range overall, you could have this situation where a very enthusiastic Republican voter pool overperforms Democrats underperform and they close that two to one advantage that Democrats currently have. And you could have like a real volatile election and real unexpected results. And so, as you know, that's not what's happening, at least in these early uh, ballots that have been returned. And what does that tell you? Does does that necessarily tell you what the outcome is going to be? Yeah, should Gavin Newsom breathe easy? Yeah. Or does it just say, no, the Democrats are voting early for some reason? 
Yeah. So uh, a vote counts the same, no matter if it's mailed two weeks early or, you know, dropped off on the day of the election or voting in person on the day of the election. So nobody should rest too easy just yet. And there are pools within the Democratic base that haven't turned out yet. You know, seniors, over half of seniors have returned their ballots, but among young people, it's around 15 percent. So 18 to 34 year olds, there's six million of them and they're at about 15% turnout. Latinos also are underperforming as a share of the electorate. Right now they're at 20% turnout, but white voters and especially like suburban white older voters are around 40% turnout. So uh, there's still a lot of the electorate out there. However, as we get closer to like a 50, 60% turnout number, it becomes really that that democratic advantage is so baked in it becomes hard for the no side in the republican base to really have that overwhelming impact on the election and that information you had just a moment ago about latino voters and younger voters is that atypical of elections or is there something yeah like are we seeing yeah. the kind of typical people vote because we know that yeah, not everybody votes so this every is time. a this is a very uniquely California thing, right? Over the last few election cycles, we've learned that in California, our elections have this time function. And it, it used to be that early on, it would be Republicans voted early, largely older, whiter homeowners. We used to joke it was people who knew where they kept their stamps. And then as you got closer to the election, you'd see more Latinos and younger people voting. And that was the arc. And it created what was called a blue shift, where those votes counted later actually tended to be more Democratic and those votes that were counted on election night from all those already processed ballots were more conservative. We're still seeing parts of this function. So uh, we're still seeing young people and Latinos slower to return their ballots. What's unique is that we're seeing a high turnout from still much more older, wider suburban voters, but they're the Democratic pool of those voters. And it's the Republican pool of those voters that either is not voting or is kind of self-selecting to vote later in the process. So it's an interesting way that the electorate has changed in just the last couple election cycles, largely because of the messaging around 2020. So one of the concerns for Democrats, I mean, the biggest concern has been turnout. But I think for everybody, I mean, you want to see as many people kind of weigh in. Are you surprised looking historically that we are seeing, you know, some almost a third or whatever all of ballots already in in a September election in an off year. Yeah, no, it it is one of those election cycles where honestly, if you'd if you brought me on the show a month ago, I would have said turnout like 50 percent seems like a lot. Uh, not only is 50 percent a lot, but it's 50 percent of an electorate that has grown so much. It's 22 million people. 50 percent of this electorate would be like a presidential election cycle in 2004 or something like that or 2008. So um, the idea that this many people return their ballots and do it so quickly, I think, was definitely an outlier. People who were saying that were kind of getting the funny look like they were just kind of partisan shills. Um, that that really the rational people would have expected under 50 percent turnout and not to be in a position with essentially a week's worth of ballots to come in plus Election Day, uh, that we would already be at 30 percent turnout. And when you look at this by county, uh, Target Book sent out some county tabulations and you look at the turnout in L.A., it's about 23 percent returned so far. SF is 35 percent. Uh, is that pretty typical? I mean, why do Angelinos, uh, they just have so much going on in their lives that they don't get around to voting till later or, they, or do they just vote in smaller numbers all the time? 
Well, it's really interesting because uh, the L.A. County voting pool is actually larger than the Bay Area voting pool. But the Bay Area voting pool is actually more voters on Election Day. It's been a consistent trend. Um, and so it is it, it is expected that L.A. is going to kind of underperform their strength of the overall electorate. And so those kind of numbers don't surprise me. I think that's the kind of thing that we've come to expect. So, you know. We knew that you would have had a bad prediction a few weeks ago. That's why we waited until now I to get you that on. So yeah, much. that was for you. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, the polling uh, in some ways has stayed relatively static, but we did see this kind of anomaly in the summer where it did seem like Republicans were so much more uh, engaged. And I'm just wondering, like, looking at what you're seeing now, and given that the polls are pretty, you know, showing things in Newsom's favor, I mean, did this turnout kind of question mark you think impact the the accuracy as far as we understand it of these surveys? So there's a couple of things that you said that were interesting. One is you did say that the, the polling has been fairly static. And when you look at the polling and the line that says all Californians are all registered voters right. on that metric, this thing has been a dog for months. There's there's never been a time where that became really close. When it did get close was about six, seven weeks ago, some polls, particularly I think the most meaningful to me uh, as an observer and, and reader of polls is that IGS poll out of Berkeley run by Mark DiCamillo, former director of the field poll. When he said this was a 4751 race, I remember I was walking my dog. It was like five in the morning. I saw it. And I just stopped. I was like, choked on oh your my coffee God. a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, that was shocking. And um but I think that there were some things that we saw there that it was a very low turnout. The model there was very low turnout for Democrats and very high turnout for Republicans, where Republicans would be like 31, 32, 33 percent of the total votes cast. And it was it was really an, uh, a, a, an ability to look into what would happen if we had a real low turnout election. Now, this did a couple things. One is I think that it itself kind of changed how people perceive the race, made people think it was more serious. Um, so maybe some voters saw that and they changed their behavior and got and stopped thinking that this is like, oh, a silly recall, it's never gonna happen. Is it even happening? They started paying attention. Then also you've got this stuff that has happened in the last couple of weeks where, where the Newsom campaign has gone after uh, Larry Elder, which has been kind of a gift to his campaign. To Newsom's campaign. Yeah, and the, 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 uh, particularly the, the messages around choice like the fact that this Texas right. abortion case, essentially the Supreme Court, like kind of dropping the ball on Roe v. Wade and, and letting that case go has polarized the electorate. And this is something that will be the final chapter, I think, in this recall, a recall that started on illegal immigration, yeah. converted to covid. And now the end now game we're on abortion, yeah. abortion. And quickly, yeah. quickly, Paul, we're um in the coming to the final weekend, you're going to be crunching data. We'll get more numbers on Monday, probably. What are you looking for? I'm definitely going to be looking for a uh, if we're going to see late surging votes by Republicans as we see more of that in-person voting happening. We've already seen some evidence from L.A. and Orange County that the in-person voting is breaking very heavily Republican. Um, but it's only 10% of the votes that were cast over the weekend were in person. The rest of it was still heavily Democratic mail voting. So we want to see that. Then we also want to look at those young voters. Do they turn out? And almost synonymously, those Latino voters. Latino voters are largely younger voters. We want to see if those numbers start to pick up. So that's, I think, what we're going to be looking at. And we'll be tracking this data through Election Day 
and um, beyond because ballots keep coming in afterwards. All right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's Paul Mitchell, Vice President of Political Data, Inc. We always appreciate your insights, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we'll be joined by Republican candidate Kevin Faulkner. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we are thrilled to have former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner here, former mayor of my hometown. He is running to replace Governor Gavin Newsom in next week's recall election. Mayor Faulkner, welcome to The Breakdown. It's great to be with you. Thank you. So this race has changed pretty significantly over the past what, 9, 10, 11 months since you announced your candidacy. Um, You were one of the first big-name candidates to jump in. You've long been expected to throw your hat in some gubernatorial ring. I'm just curious, like, what's your take on how this race has progressed over the year, given the attention one of your um, opponents, Larry Elder, I don't know, is opponent the right word in the recall, but is getting and and just, you know, I mean, February to September in 2021 politics is like a lifetime. Uh, it is, and it's certainly a, a unique uh, situation in the recall. Um, but I'll tell you, having just, you know, having just finished a statewide bus tour, um, there is a lot of enthusiasm uh, for this recall from folks from you know, from all parts of the state, all all walks of life, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, um, and you know what they want is they want a change at the top. Um, and one of the things that that I offer certainly is somebody who has the experience who you know, successfully managed the second largest city in our great state, but he knows how to bring people together to solve problems. Um, that's what I was known as, as, as mayor of, of San Diego, whether it was what we did on reducing homelessness by double digits, keeping our you know city safe, focusing on infrastructure. Uh, somebody who can do that, and again, and bring Republicans and Democrats uh, together. I think what we're seeing uh, with you know, with, with Larry Elder is that he started certainly as he jumped in with a, you know, a large uh, base from a national radio audience. But when folks are actually seeing his positions and how wrong they are uh, for California, uh, I think a lot of people are having second thoughts. I wonder, do you feel, you know, he did have that big social media following. Of course, he's got a national platform on the radio and has for 
decades now out of Los Angeles. Do you feel that either you or, you know, all of us, for that matter, underestimated him? I mean, he does seem to do well in the polling. Of course, as they say, polls don't vote. People do. Uh, But what do you make of the fact that this guy who doesn't have any executive experience, he's never been elected to anything, he's never run for anything, never run a city, (laughs) he hasn't really, you know, run much of anything. Like, And yet, you know, there he is. What do you make of it? I think to your point, to win in California, you have to win by addition. Uh, that's, that's how I did it as mayor of San Diego, which uh, interesting uh, data point. The registration in San Diego mirrors that of California as a whole, 24% Republican. I won with 53% of the vote, got reelected with 58. You win by addition. Um, and, and that's not only how you win in California, but that's, I think, how you need to govern effectively, is to bring Democrats and Republicans together. If you try to you know, just, just win uh, with Republicans only, that doesn't work in California. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to talk a little bit about your how you got to this place. Um, you grew up in Oxnard, a little north of San Diego. Your mom, we read in one profile, worked as a secretary and attended night school to earn a Ph.D. Um, I mean, was that something you remember? And how how is she balancing that at that time and talking to you as her kids about yeah. that kind of work? Um, no, I remember it. I remember it vividly. Um, and you know, my mom was a secretary. She went to she went to night school. I mean, look, my mom's one of my heroes. Uh, she worked she worked her butt off, uh, got her MBA and then and then her PhD. Uh, and, and and so you know, particularly when you know you have to have a governor that's going to be a champion for working women, uh, who's going to stand up for women's rights in the workplace. Uh, as you know, I've been very outspoken and vocal. Uh, when Larry Elder came out and said it was okay if private employers, in essence, wanted to discriminate against women and ask them if they were going to plan to have kids. Um, that's wrong. Uh, and, and so this is personal to me. Um, and it's personal for, you know, you know my, my wife, Catherine, so a working mom. And I want, I want to ensure that, you know, California's daughters have the same opportunities as California's sons. And so, again, I think that's why it's so important that you have a, a governor that understands um, you know, it's, it's not about just a, a talk radio show and you can say things. This is serious stuff and it requires a serious candidate. And look, I'm proud to be a, a girl dad and and I'm going to fight <laughs> for uh, for women all across the state. So you were one of those kids who thought they'd get into government pretty early. It sounds like your dad was a municipal city employee uh, in Oxnard. What yeah. interested you in the work that he was doing? And I understand, again, from one of the profiles, he used to go to the city council meetings, I think, and just kind of was you were really fascinated by that. What, what, what was no, it? I, that- I, I, I did. Yeah. I mean, look, while mom was going to school at night, and, you know, my dad was uh, worked for the city manager's office in Oxnard. Uh, I would be at the back of the council chambers doing my homework. And so. God, uh, for, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> for, for right or for wrong, you know, that kind of stuff rubbed off and seeing public comment and, you know, all of that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, you know, I and, and both my parents instilled um, at an early age for, for me and, and my sister, um, you got to get involved. Um, you know, you have the opportunity to make a difference. And so I saw that firsthand from, you know, not only their careers, but their volunteer work. So, I went to San Diego State, majored in, in political science, and uh, you know ran for city council and ultimately mayor. Um, I love it. If you if you love the ability to make a difference, uh, to solve problems, and to help people, uh, boy, there's there's no better career around. 
So I understand your parents were Democrats, but at least by the time you were out of college, you identified as a Republican. Um, and we know that you did a Coral Fellowship, which is an amazing program. Uh, yeah. You were here in San Francisco. They placed you at Glide Memorial Church, which is, yes. uh, I mean, just legendary. legendary in San yeah. Francisco. Um, and they, of course, for folks who aren't familiar, do a ton of work around feeding the homeless, housing the homeless, yeah. just doing that type of work. What did you learn in that job, which I think is sort of part of the Coral Fellowship's ideas to put people maybe in unlikely places, right? It they, is. So what, what did you take away from that? Uh, I'd say that fellowship changed my life. Um, and it was one of the most fantastic things uh, that I did uh, during that year in, in San Francisco. Uh, yeah, to be to be a glide, to be at the other uh, hands-on environments that you have. It's about how do you make a difference? How do you? And you know, the whole focus of of Coral was to find out what is really going on, right? To cut through the BS. That's their logo, the, right? Yeah, to, to cut through the you know the partisan stuff, uh, and that's something I feel you know strongly about. It's it's not about Republican or Democrats. What what is it that we should be doing? Um, that's how I've run my races and, and and tried to govern as well. And so when I think back on that experience, and particularly at Glide. I mean, the, the, the absolute essentialness to, you know, intervene and make a difference. Uh, I took a lot of those lessons with me as, as mayor, uh, where I think are common sense in terms of helping people. And don't let, you know, uh, don't let the status quo get in the way from trying new things. Uh, and that's really what Coral was all about. And, you know, as, as we took pretty firm yet compassionate action on homelessness in San Diego, as I said, I, I carried a lot of those uh, life lessons with me. You know, many years ago, I worked for a mayor of San Francisco, uh, and there was a home, big homeless problem then as well. This is like, you know, 25 years ago. Um, and I think mayor is one of the toughest jobs in politics because there's no distance. You're not in Sacramento and the constituents <laughs> are everywhere. You know, they're, you go out to dinner, they're there, your constituents. You know, everywhere you go, yeah, your constituents are, right? So, I'm just, yeah. yeah, and it's, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, now you're running for the top job and you're, you know, as a candidate, your job is to point out the shortcomings of the incumbent. But is there a part of you that sort of, I don't know, empathizes with how tough these problems are? Of course. <laughs> Look, absolutely. And anyone that's been in elected office knows it's not easy. Um, but I also know um, that I wouldn't be running if I didn't think our state was, you know, heading in the wrong direction on, on issues that the Californians really care a lot about and, and why I jumped in. Uh, again, it's because I, I just I firmly believe that, that one party rule hasn't been working. It's time for a competition of ideas. And I believe strongly in the things that I think our state needs to do, like, you know, build additional water reservoirs, uh, do the forest management that we need to help prevent some of these fires, to take aggressive action uh, on homelessness, to help people off the streets. Uh, and I wouldn't be running if I didn't think that I could bring, again, a, a solution-based approach that that again doesn't focus on, you know, partisanship, but more about leadership and common sense. There is so much, you know, partisanship and animosity out there. And I, I think what Californians really want right now is don't they really care if somebody has an R or D next to their name is are you going to make things better? Are you going to make our state more affordable? And like I said, I, I wouldn't be running if I didn't think that I could do that. Well, let me ask you about something that is still top of mind to so many people, which is this pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about it has become so political and I believe you've promised to remove most of the statewide COVID mandates that the governor, uh, current governor, has put into place. You also, though, talk a lot about working across the aisle, and polls do show most Californians support these things. Let's talk about one in particular, masks in schools. Why turn that back if you're elected? 
And what would you say to like the parent of an immunocompromised kid who says like my kid has the right to a safe place and it's not as safe if everyone's not masked, if everybody kind of gets to pick their own adventure on that issue? Yeah, I mean, let me say first and foremost, uh, uh, I want everyone to get vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. Uh, my family's vaccinated. That's how we get over this is to get everyone vaccinated in California. Um, I also know that it's very difficult to mandate your way out of COVID-19. Uh, we will, we want to prevent this pandemic from being endemic. And one of the biggest things I think that we can do to help is knowing that the facts on the ground are different in different parts of the state. And so one of the things that I've been pretty outspoken about is I don't believe in a state as large and as diverse as we are, that we should have a one size fits all policy coming out of Sacramento. I think we should allow folks in our local jurisdictions and our local counties and our local school districts to make those decisions based upon the facts of the ground. I think when we do that, uh, we're going to get the best opportunity again for success. We're going to get the best opportunity to get everybody healthy uh, and more local control rather than a one size fits all policy. We need to listen to our medical professionals. We need to get vaccinated. Quicker we do that the better we're all going to be in California. Just a quick follow, though. I mean, kids under 12 don't have that option, right? And, I, you know, I think some people would say that the government's job is also to sort of protect the most vulnerable among us. So, you know, what about a parent in maybe a more rural place where the school board might say, we don't want mask mandates, but, you know, all these kids are being put at risk and some of them might, you know, oh. have real big vulnerabilities. You know, again, I would, I would say we need to look at the, the local facts on the ground. And, and again, to give folks in our health professionals at the local level, uh, give them the support that they need to make those decisions rather than a one-size-fits-only approach. I, I just think that that's going to lead to vaccine hesitancy. I don't think anybody wants to have that. But we want to keep everybody safe. Uh, we want to keep our kids safe. We want to keep our teachers safe. Um, and I was very outspoken uh, as well when, you know, our governor, and we were, we were the last state in the nation to open our public schools. And what that did to not just the learning loss, but in terms of you know, a lot of the mental health issues for so many of our kids, private schools, as, as you know, private schools were open the entire last semester where kids were in the classroom safely learning, teachers were safely teaching, they were taking all of those uh, precautions. So I'm strongly against politicizing COVID, but I'm very much in favor of, as I said, in a state this big, letting the local facts on the ground determine the right course of action. You know, uh, one of the issues that you have raised and many other candidates running is crime. Um, and I, yeah. you know, there are some issues, uh, you know, like housing, homelessness. I mean, these are huge issues and a governor can, you know, make a dent, but not really solve it necessarily by themselves. But like one thing that a governor can do in California with the stroke of a pen is undo the hold on executions in California. And yeah. there's a lot of people on death row, maybe 30, that have exhausted their legal appeals. I mean, would you feel comfortable just reversing that right away and allowing, you know, heating up that, you know, execution chamber? Okay. I believe you have to have consequences for actions. And when we get away from that, we start to see what we're seeing in California, where we have a 13-year increase uh, in terms of violent crime. Murders are up 30%. Over uh, when? I I am a supporter of capital punishment. You have to have consequences for actions. And I've been very outspoken about this as well. As a matter of fact, I was in San Francisco earlier this week. Um, and when we allow laws and that the governor supported, like Prop 47, that basically allowed, you know, stealing anything under $950 and you can do heroin and methamphetamine now with virtually no consequences 
in California, that's the wrong approach. That's the wrong approach from not, from not just a crime perspective, but also a, a quality of life perspective for, for our cities. Uh, San Francisco is a great city. I love it. I spent several years of my life there. Uh, and to see all of the tent encampments that certainly weren't there so many years ago, it, it, it breaks my heart. And again, I think we have to take a, a position that says we want to help folks. We want to help you get off the street. But it's not okay to allow tent encampments in what becomes, in essence, open-air drug markets where people kill themselves. We care about people enough not to let them kill themselves on our sidewalks and our freeway underpasses. And so that type of action that I took as mayor of San Diego, again, where we're going to set up a shelter system, because I believe that every human being has a right to shelter. But I also believe that when we provide that shelter, you have an obligation to use it. And I will lead by example as governor. Just a few minutes left with you, but I mean, a lot of what you were just talking about is stuff that voters have actually put into effect, right? And, you know, we had, I mean, I think it's important to say you're right, there was a huge increase in homicides in 2020, but we are still at an all-time low of the last 40 years for crime. So I'm curious, like, what's the case for not going back to sort of the lock up days that voters seem to have rejected? I mean, what's the alternative? And and especially around violent crime, I think. We have to put victims first. Um, and, and when crime rises, those, you know, those, those are impacting, these are human beings, these are families. Uh, I'm proud to have the support of Crime Victims United. I just announced that last week as well. And again, this is personal for so many Californians that if we do not allow, if we don't have consequences for actions, it's not just about statistics, it's not just about percentages. And so I think as we look to see where our state is going, it's going in the wrong direction. You know, I think we have to have that balance. And has to have to have that balance that says if if you break the law, there are going to be consequences. We're getting away from that in California. Really? I don't think that's the Republican or Democrat issue. Really, really that's a common sense issue. I'm sorry. Really quickly, what happened to the Padres this year? You know, it was supposed to be the Dodgers and the Padres, and it's the Giants and the and the yeah, Dodgers. Not, every, not everything in San Francisco is terrible. So you had to go there. Uh, <laughs> well, we're still uh, we're still fighting for the wild card. So, okay, uh, there we go. You know, the bats are coming around. The pitching will give us. <laughs> this is a big weekend series, uh, Padres in LA. All right, All very right. good. Thank Bye. you, thank you Thanks, so much, thank Kevin Faulkner. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. Our producer, Guy Marzarati. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tovin, lindsay Vinnie Tong, Otis Taylor Jr., and Erica Aguilar. I'm Scott Schaefer. Find me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. I'm Maurice Lagos. You can find me at M. Lagos. Don't forget to vote. September 14th, the last day. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. 
They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.